All right. Well, um, I love Caleb. I love the fact that I get to be a part of Mariner's Huntington Beach this morning. Caleb's uh, is talked. We've talked a lot about this church and what God's been doing here. And every time he talked about uh, Huntington Beach, he mentioned that you guys were in this library. And so I, I just always had this picture in my mind of kind of chairs set up in the middle of these rows of books and and like there's copies of Huckleberry Finn all over the place and we're worshiping the Lord and I, I mean but this is cool this is so much better than my picture of you know rows of books and you guys you know having a Huckleberry Finn to your left um, that's this is awesome and I love what God's doing in this place in terms of the stories of grace and the stories of second chance and how how God is, is redeeming lives in this city and in this community, and it's because of what you guys are doing. And so I'm really grateful to be here and humbled to be here. And um, maybe if you guys will let me, I might, I'll come back next week and I'll just come to church because this is a cool place. So like, I've, been to, I've been to the Irvine campus. That's just, that's just ridiculous over there, okay? <laughs> this is the place to be, all right? Come on now. So... Um, I want to talk to you uh, this morning about uh, an idea. And so if you have a, a, a pen or a piece of paper, uh, maybe your, your mobile device, I want you to write this down because this is, this is the one thing that I want you to remember uh, for today. And you can just zone me out, tune me out the rest of the, the next minutes that we have together. But this thought is the thought. That, that little acts of love can launch a life. Little acts of love and launch a life. So we just celebrate 4th of July, amazing, amazing holiday, but the best thing about 4th of July is that you get to do fireworks, and not, and at my house, like, we did the official firework show I lived down in San Diego, so we went downtown and saw the Big Bay boom, and had, it was amazing, big stuff, big explosions, but no comparison to what I did on my lawn yesterday, Okay. <laughs> So I, I went and bought, I was in Vegas the week before, and so I bought some safe and sane fireworks, which are lame, but it, it's nice that, that you can light some stuff in your yard. And so I got my kids out there and my wife out there and said, we're going to do the Foster Family Sparktacular. I named it myself, by the way. <laughs> and so I got out the box of fireworks, and I spent 60 bucks on this thing, and it had these, uh, my first one was this, this funnel thing, this round thing, and I don't even know what it does. It's like Tiger Fury or something like that. It's called something. I'm like, okay, well, let's see what Tiger Fury is all about. And I took, you know, the little match, a little bit of heat, and I just lit the fuse, and boom, it just the, it started sparking and, and glowing and making loud noises. And just my kids were in awe. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. And things are shooting up in the sky. And I'm going, I hope I don't burn my house down. And this is, this is what a little flame, just like a tiny little heat, just at the tip of that fuse, lit something there and put into process and into motion something that became just, just glowed. It literally lit up the night. And I think our lives are, are very much the same way. It's like, we, don't, we, we talk about often at churches and, and maybe in the, the media, we talk about kind of the big stories and the big things. And, the, you know, you, they raised a million dollars for clean water or, 
or that, that person, you know, they gave their life to the Lord, and then they went to the, the mission field, and they lived on the, in the Sahara, and they roughed it for Jesus for 10 years, and, and, and suffered through diseases, and all this sort of stuff, and it's like, wow, we hear those stories, but those stories are important, and good, but, but, the, but the other stories of the little acts of love that we don't necessarily talk about that much, but we need to start talking about, are just as important. Because you and I, honestly, are probably the byproducts of stories that have been influenced and impacted by little acts of love. For example, the little act of love of the invitation to come to church. Or maybe it was that little act of love that that, that individual or that friend that you have who just, just encouraged you to follow your dreams. Maybe that little act of love was when you were going through a, a really difficult time in your marriage, you had that friend who just said a very simple prayer for you that totally changed the direction and, and gave you hope in that moment. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, this idea of just being bumped by grace, just a little, not like this magical, amazing, credible thing, like millions of dollars, just, just a small act of love of grace can really change our whole trajectory. But it's also true that, that, that negative things, harmful things, little words said, little things of criticism, messages that we believe about ourselves can also impact us in a big way. I think of um, the society that we live in. We're, we're surrounded by people, and we live in a culture that just loves to sort of marginalize and label and stigmatize and and sort of say, you know, you're this, or you're, you can't do that because of who you are. And, and there's sort of this, if you don't fit into the club, then you have no place. I think of the story of Monty Roberts. Monty was growing up, and he was, uh, he was poor. His family was really poor. In fact, they, they had nothing, and they, the whole family lived. Monty lived with his mom and dad, his couple brothers and sisters, in the back of a camper shell. In this camper shell... Uh, you know, they, they tried to have an existence of a life, and it was a tough life. But Monty, in spite of his ad- the adversity and sort of the struggle that his family was having, the fact that they had no money, still had a dream and still could see a, a purpose and a vision for his life. And that was simply his dream was to, to uh, own thoroughbred horses and to own a 100-acre ranch, and to have ranch hands working on this ranch. And, and he would see it like, it like it could be a reality for him. And so one day, uh, his, he was going to high school, and the teacher asked the class to write an essay about what do you want to be and what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, what is your dream? And Monty knew. You know, he, thoroughbred horses on a 100-acre ranch. And so he got the assignment from the teacher and all, um, began to write his paper. And a couple days later, he hands it in and... Uh, class turns in the papers and then a couple days later he gets back from the teacher and, and on his paper um, where he had discussed his dreams of the horses and the ranch what, on, on his paper he got a big red letter F failed and Monty was sort of beside himself he's like I, I don't understand so after class he goes up and he asks his teacher how come you gave me an F and the teacher, in just sort of her arrogance and, and sort of this condescending voice, looks at Monty and says, Monty, you know, the 
the, the paper was well written, the grammar was good, uh, but there was a problem, like, what you wrote in your paper was so unbelievable. I mean, Monty, you're, you're poor, and your family, you guys live in a camper shell, and I, I'm like, how are you going to buy and pay for those thoroughbred horses? I mean, those ranch hands that are going to be working on the ranch, they're going to want to get paid, but you don't have anything, Monty. And so here's what I'll do, Monty. If you want, if you, if you want to change your, your dream and your paper and what you want to be when you grow up to, to something a little bit more realistic, you can rewrite your paper, and I'll raise your grade. And I love, I love Monty's response. He looks at his teacher, and, and he goes, you know what? You can keep the F. I'll keep my grade. And the beautiful thing about, about the story is that Monty today actually owns a 110-acre ranch in Solvang, California, where he raises thoroughbred horses, and he has ranch hands. And, and, but but the, the reality is that teacher, and it's tough being a teacher, and I love teachers, and they, they do heroic work, but this teacher was trying to steal his dream trying to say, Monty, you belong in this box because of your financial situation of your family. Because of the the circumstances that I see you in, you're going to have this sort of life. And those are the the battles that that we're going to have to fight for people and with people. To say, yes, I see, I see the circumstances. I see the realities of life. I see the struggle. But this is not your life. There is, there is a God that is real. There is a hope and a future that he promises. 1 Corinthians uh, 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has planned for those who love him. And it says we're out there bringing little acts of love to people, providing a hope, reinfusing the dream that has been stolen. That's what, that's what our role is as Christians. I know in my own life, I, th- I think about the little act of love that changed my life. And it happened in, as, in high school, in my adolescence. It was this little yellow note. And I, I know this will be kind of hard to believe, but when, when I was a, a teenager, I was kind of a geek. And <laughs> I really don't understand why you're laughing at that. <laughs> I mean... Um, and so, just to prove this point, I want to show you a picture of me on my first day of, of high school. I know, sexy and I know it, right there. Um, but this is me, first day of high school, and I, I, I'm skinny, I got acne, I got braces, my two front teeth are broken out, and I'm wearing that shirt, okay? So, so there you go, that's my story. And um, it was not good. By the way, on top of all that stuff... The, you know, the braces and the acne and, and the two broken teeth and the shirt. I, I also played the French horn in the band. So I, I see somebody who's a French horn fan. That's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and the reason why I even to add to the geekville of this, um, the geekiness of this, is I wanted to play the French horn because I love Star Wars. And the French horn was featured in Star Wars. By the way, this is also why I never had a date in high school. Um, so I was an awkward mess, and I didn't like myself. I didn't like anything about me. I mean, I liked the French horn, but I did not like Mike. And I saw everything that was wrong with me. I was insecure. I had low self-esteem. 
Um, and I think all of us probably know what I'm talking about here, right? We've all experienced this. And, and so I, I literally felt like there was this cloud hanging over Mike Foster. Sort of this darkness that I was walking in. And yet every day there'd be a shining light. There'd be a little act of love that would change my life. And it came in the form of a little yellow note. You see, my dad would make uh, lunch for me every morning. I, I'm so blessed to have great parents. And they come from a great home and parents that believed in me. And so my dad would I literally make my lunch, sandwich, chips, a little juice box, and he'd write a little, ye- little yellow note, stick it in my, uh, uh, my backpack, and I'd head off to uh, school with my backpack and my French horn, and I'd hop on the school bus and because I was that guy. And I'd get to school and go through class, and then at lunchtime I'd, I'd go to the library and pull out my lunch and, and then pull out the little, little yellow note. And um, it, was, it was a ray of light in my darkness. And it wasn't fancy. I mean, my dad, it was actually quite short and basically said the same thing every day. It wasn't poetic. It wasn't sort of um, long-winded. It just basically said, Dear Mike, I hope you have a great day at school. I love you. Dad. And to know that my dad loved me, to know that my dad was for me, to know that my dad believed in me, that my dad accepted me just as I am, even though I didn't like myself, even though I hated everything about me. And I'm sure my dad would go, I had in my mind, like, my dad probably thought, well, like, I wish, it would have been awesome if Mike was awesome at basketball. Or I'm sure it would be awesome if Mike was super popular. Like, I, maybe he had those dreams, but he didn't really care. He was just glad I was his son. So this little act of love saved me. It was enough to get me through those, those really dark and difficult times of growing up as a teenager. And the, the thing is for us is that God is sending us little yellow notes every day, reminding us that he loves us, that he wants to free us, that he, he forgives us, that, that he's really glad that you and I are a part of his family. And the simple message of love. You know, I, I think sometimes we overcomplicate life and, and um, what we should do and say and all this. But, but at the very core, the, the two things that people need is that they need to know that they're loved and they need to know that they belong. And if we have those two things, and that's the beauty of the church, right? That no matter who you are, no matter what your story looks like, no matter what you're going through, you can come to this place and this community of people and you will be loved, and you can belong, just as you are. And I love that, and I think that's what we need more of in our world. We need more little yellow notes, and we need more carriers of the little yellow notes. And, and we, we sometimes miss the point and miss the, the, the fact that it is the little acts of love that can truly launch a life, that can make a huge difference. I lead an organization called People of a Second Chance, and it's amazing to me um, how, how just the, the simplest words of encouragement, the simplest um, reassurance that, that, uh, that people are not alone, that, that we're standing with them, that when, when I meet with a person who's going through a very difficult season of their life and just to know that they're not going to walk alone, that I'm going to be there for them and that I will stand with them, I may not have the answers. 
I may not have the solutions, but I will be with them and I will love them through it. And that Jesus loves them and he will walk them through it also. Like that's enough. That is enough. I think so often we complicate things if we forget that it is the little acts of love that make such a huge difference. If you have your Bibles, I want to look at Proverbs 3, uh, verses 27 through 29. Just talk about this idea in terms of how we can really be better, you know, note giver, yellow note givers. And, and how we can step into places of need and, and really show up in a big way. And so in Proverbs 3, uh, starting in verse 27, the scriptures will also be on the screen here. Um, verse 27 says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it. When it's in your power to help them. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. You see, we have the power to help. And we can do something in that, those moments. And yet so often when we show up into broken moments and broken situations and people are hurting and suffering and there, there's things that are going on in their lives that, that are they're traumatic or difficult, often what we do is we don't love them. We actually judge them. We don't show compassion. We start trying to give a bunch of answers. And, and, and it's almost like we, we've hoarded grace. Um, you know, God has poured this amazing amount of mercy and compassion and love and grace into our life. And, and the deal is like he pours in and then we let it out. That's how this natural flow is supposed to work. And yet we've sort of become like grace hoarders. How many of you have seen that show Hoarders on, uh, I don't know, A&E or whatever it is, cable television? It, it's a... It's a incredible show, but it's an incredibly sad show and very difficult to watch because here we see people, we, we go into the lives of these individuals who, who can't let anything go. And so their homes are filled with just junk and crap, like to the ceiling. They can't even move around. And they're just holding on to this stuff. I mean, you go into their kitchen and there's, there's rotted food and you open up the refrigerator and there's just rancid stuff everywhere. And, and they're hoarding. And I think we do that with grace sometimes. Like God has poured all these amazing, beautiful things into our lives and yet we're holding on to it. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to give it away. We're supposed to yellow notes everywhere. Love, acceptance encouragement. We're, we're supposed to be bringing light into dark places, bringing a message of hope to hopeless places, like to love the unlovable. That's our calling. It's sometimes we hold on to it. And so when it's in your power to help them, don't withhold good. Verse 28, if you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. How many of us do this? It's like we, we have a situation right in front of us. We have a need that we can meet right there. And we say, well, you know what? I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> I'll do that tomorrow. And so often the reason why we don't engage in that need, why we don't bring love into that moment, is because we feel like we're unqualified. We feel like there's this big misconception in church and in life in general. It says, you and I are supposed to fix people's problems. Wrong. Heresy. Jesus fixes the problems. Our mission, our role in life is to love people. That's your role. That's my role. To, to, to be there with people, to listen. I am not, I can't change people. I can't fix people. Trust me, I have tried. And you have tried too. And we failed miserably. But you know what you and I can do? Love them. Be there for them. We can do that. Every human being has the ability to do that. Let Jesus fix. 
you love. And so, so don't disqualify yourself to enter into a need. You don't have to have the solution to their problem. You don't have to fix all the, the things that are broken. You just have to remind them that they're loved, that they're valuable, that you're there, that Jesus cares, and begin the journey with them. It's the little acts of love. Sometimes we overwhelm ourselves with, well, I can't, I'm not qualified. I don't have the training. I, I don't know what to do. Verse 29, don't plot harm against your neighbor. For those who live nearby trust you. They trust you, not the professionals. They don't trust the guy in the gray shirt and the glasses. I'm just a guy. But you, they know you. And so there's trust and there's a relationship there. And, and we need to leverage that and use that and say, like, you are the gospel with skin on it. You're the, the one that goes into those situations and, and represents Christ in that moment. I don't know your friends, but you do. I don't know your co workers, but you do. I don't know your classmates. I don't know your neighbors, but you do. And they trust you, they know you. And you can be the source of life and hope for them and telling them about Jesus and his love. Um, so don't plot harm against your neighbor. For those who live nearby, they trust you. Use that trust. I want to I give you kind of three quick thoughts in terms of um, how we can launch a life. And, and the first thought is this, is that we're rescued to become a rescuer. We are rescued to become a rescuer. I love what Proverbs 29, 18 says. It says, where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed are those who heed wisdom's instruction. So this idea of revelation, where there's no revelation, really what we're talking about here is where there's no purpose, where there's no, no mi mission or vision for your life, you can, you can quickly fall into sin and cast off restraint. You know, I was doing stuff with Triple X Church and working with, with especially with men and, and pornography struggles, like, for them, it was so important that they had a purpose and a vision for their life. And when they didn't, when they didn't have any sort of goal or anything that they're working towards or anything, some, some dream for their life, they, they would escape into pornography. It's a form of escapism. And so, like, this idea of mission and purpose, that to see your, see your life is that you've been rescued to become a rescuer. It's as simple as that. Now, the rescue acts look different, and, and, and context is maybe different, but the simple fact is Jesus rescued us to now be a part of his rescuing plan for the world. And isn't that fun? Isn't that exciting? I love what Proverbs 31, 8 says. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. You see, grace has a voice, and it's your voice. It's time for us, you know, there, there's so much commentary and so much um, uh, stuff that we see on TV and on the internet, on Twitter, where we're just tearing people down. Negative, negative, negative. I'm sick of it. And, and I, I, I am, I've signed up to fight all of that and say, I want to bring a new voice, a voice of grace, a voice of second chance. And I want guys like you to join me in this. And so part of the, the, the act of doing that is to raise our voice, to speak up for those who are being torn down. I think another 
part of this is just to be a good, be a good rescuer is to have a, have a different perspective and a different lens of how you see people and how you see the world and see situations. I love the story of Elizabeth Henson. Elizabeth was uh, cleaning out her closet, uh, doing some spring cleaning, and she had taken this big pile of clothes out to the, the garage to get rid of, and on top of the big pile of clothes was this old mothballed, holy, fuzzy green jacket that she wanted to get rid of. She never wore it, so she just can't throw it away. And as she's taking this big pile of clothes and the green jacket was on top, her son stops her and says, hey, mom, can I have that green jacket? And Elizabeth kind of looks at him and goes, I, I guess, I don't know what you're going to do with this green jacket. It stinks. It, it, it's got holes in it. It belongs in the garbage can. But Elizabeth Henson's son wanted it. And so he took the green jacket and took it to his little workshop, and he got out some scissors, and he started cutting out this little frog body. And then he got this ping-pong ball, and he cut the ping-pong ball in half and created two eyeballs. And he put these little two eyeballs on his frog body, and Elizabeth Henson's son was named Jim, Jim Henson. And Jim Henson was creating, out of this jacket that was about to be thrown away, the very first Kermit the Frog. True story. In fact, you can go see the very first Kermit the Frog in the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. It's amazing. What, what was meant for the garbage can that Elizabeth said, you know, this, this is worthless. This has no value. This is not good. We need to get rid of it. Jim saw something different. He said, I can do something there. I, I can turn that into a frog that's going to entertain millions and millions of people. And that's what he did. Jim had a vision. He saw something there. Something where the world looked at it and said, that's, that's not needed. That has no value. Worthless. Jim said, you know what? I'm going to turn that into a, a singing and dancing frog that's going to entertain millions of people. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine a world without Kermit the Frog? <laughs> I, that's a world that I don't want to live in. I'm so grateful that Jim had a vision for that green coat. And so part of being a good rescuer is for us to, to put on new lenses, to, to see life and to see situations and see the world differently, to see people differently, to find the value, to find the worth, to find, find the, the good in people. Um, that's how we become a good rescuer. We're rescued to become a rescuer. And that's how little acts of love can launch life. I mean, that little act of love of taking that coat off of the pile and turning into Kermit the Frog has changed the world. Number two, how can you launch life? Realize this and discover that your not-so-perfect story is your unfair advantage. Your not-so-perfect story is your unfair advantage. Here's what I know in the work that we do with people with second chance is this. Sometimes people with the worst past end up creating the best futures. That's so true. Sometimes people with the worst past end up creating the best futures. And yet, so many of us look at the messy parts of our story, the things that we're embarrassed about, ashamed of, and, and we want to edit them. We want to censor that. We want it to, to, to never have happened. We bury it. It's like, pay no attention to that stuff. I want to show you a success story. I want to show you all the things I'm doing right. And, and it, we, we undermine the redemption story that God is doing in our lives when we do that. 
You know, the greatest form of censorship, in my opinion, is when we censor our own story. See, these things, yes, they're difficult and painful and sometimes embarrassing. And yes, all of us have made bad choices and decisions and, and some things have, have happened that we just would rather forget. I, I understand. But that stuff is your un, unfair advantage. And what I mean by that is, is think about this. Uh, imagine that, that you, there was a season in your life where you were a raging alcoholic. And uh, five years ago, you, got, you started attending an AA meeting and you got clean and sober. Like, praise God. So now you've been clean and sober for five years and now you have a friend who's two weeks into his sobriety. Both of you have something to talk about, don't you? You have, because you've been clean and sober five years, because of the experiences of your alcoholism, because of the, the, the mess that you made of your life and the people that you hurt through that and, and, and that addiction, you actually have authority to speak and to encourage and to help the person that's only two weeks into their sobriety. If I haven't suffered with it, I haven't struggled with that, that issue, I'm not going to have as much to say to that person, right? Or imagine this, like maybe you struggle with, with an eating disorder or you... You struggle with your, your identity or your self-worth, and, and this is part of your, your messy past and the things that you've, you've fought in your life, and you come across a young lady or, or somebody who, who feels the same way about them. Like, you guys have something to talk about. See, the, the most powerful sermon, the most powerful thing that we can say to somebody who's hurting and struggling are these two words, me too. Me too. To know that, that we're not alone, that we're not crazy. I mean, this is what the enemy does too, right? He says, like, you're the only one who's a drug addict. You're the only one whose marriage has failed this way. And it's when we start sharing our not-so-perfect stories, we start connecting in community, and we start finding hope. We start realizing that, that, that we're not alone, and that we're not so weird, like, hey, uh, message to, to all of us, we're all jacked up, okay? Every single one of us. Just look around. I mean, I won't tell you, maybe don't look around. <laughs> but the person sitting next to you right now has got a lot of problems, all right? <laughs> and maybe after church today, you two can go get a burrito and a Coke and talk about those, okay? But this is, this is the, we, we have to be more courageous in sharing our story. We have to be more courageous in terms of talking about the not-so-perfect parts of our life. One of the exercises that we do uh, in my work with Freeway is I, I ask people to um, write what year was their happiest year and then what year was the hardest year. And both of those years are really important. Both of them matter in your story. And so sometimes we, we do this, right? We get out our... Uh, we get out, imagine this is your story here. And we're looking at the first part of our story, and we're going like, whoa, I don't really like the way that chapter two turned out. Um, and and we, we have sentences and characters in our story that we wish were not in our story. And there's incidences. And we're like, oh, I'm just going to rip those pages out. I don't, I don't want those pages anymore. And God's saying, no, 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 no. That's all it's part of the story here. Can't, can't remove chapters one through five. That's not going to make any sense to what I'm now going to be writing in your story. And the beautiful thing about grace and the beautiful thing about God and second chances is that it gives us like all these bunches of white pages. 
like to keep writing, to keep telling our story, to keep talking. And God is just constantly redeeming the mess. We have to realize that our not-so-perfect story is our unfair advantage. And finally, how can we launch a life? It's we got we to discover that, that the radically rescued rescue radically. Let me say that again. The radically rescued rescue radically. I love it. Proverbs 16.9 says, it says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. You know, I wake up every morning and I say, God, please, please let me be in places where people are hurting. Let me be found in, in moments of, of pain and suffering where I can just remind people that they're not alone. Where I can love them in that moment. Where I can just pray with them. Where I can, I can just share an encouraging word with them. Like God, lead me to those places. I, I, I don't... I have, I've always asked God, I, say, I want it to be radical. And not a radical like I'm having to do radical things. But to, but to take me to the places that nobody else is going. Or, or put me in the situations that nobody else is wanting to go into. So I can bring the little acts of love. So I can bring the little yellow notes. So I can look at the old messed up green coat that has holes in it and say, you know what, I, I think God could do something with that. That's where I want to go. The radically rescued rescue Radically, and if if we got honest about our stories, we realize that we have been rescued radically, right? I think my own life, and almost every decade of my story, there's been a rock bottom experience. Well, it was with you know my teenage years to uh, at 19, I was standing before a judge, and I was looking at six months of prison time. Uh, in my my 30s, I, I lost my family's life savings through bankrupting a business in less than 12 months. I mean, moments, like we all have these stories and these things where it's just like, blah. But God has rescued us. He's rescued me from my sin that I can't do anything about. He's rescued me from the pit. He's lifted me up. I think this idea and this concept of radically being, uh, rescuing radically, you know, I've, I've searched the Bible, I've searched newspapers and magazines, and I think the best example of this are, are these guys right here, the, the angry birds. Yep. <laughs> We love the birds. And these guys know how to get it done. So, and for the few of you who don't, all two of you who don't know who the angry birds are, let me tell you the story of the angry birds. So, next slide. Green pigs come, and they steal the birds' eggs from their nest. And the, the, the birds are very upset about this, clearly, because they have question marks over their head, and they're confused, and they're like, what's going on? And so they start to investigate, and they, in their investigations, next slide, they go over and they find out that the green pigs, and why that green pig has a mustache, I have no idea, but um, <laughs> the green pigs have stolen the eggs. And so this bird over here is like, that's not right. I'm angry. And he's like, I, I know they put a hashtag over his head, but really he's, he's cussing, like, <laughs> like bird cuss, and that's bad. That's, that's some. Really unchurched language happening there. So, so he's, he's angry. And what does he do? Like, I love this. He doesn't write as congressman. He doesn't, you know, just complain about it. He just goes, oh, I guess I can't do anything about the eggs anymore. Those green pigs are, are bad guys. And oh, well. What do they do? He goes back to the clan of birds. And what do they do? They put, next slide, they put their little bird bodies in a slingshot. 
This is radical, people. They put their, bird, their little bird bodies in a slingshot, and they launched their bodies at the castle with the green pigs to rescue their eggs. I like these guys. And honestly, I think we need a lot more of this in our churches and in our own lives. Like, we need to get out there. It's like, so often we just sort of throw up our arms and go like, oh, well, I guess I can't do anything about that. And, oh, I'll, I'll get Pastor Caleb to, to fix that thing. It's, I, he's a professional, right? Or I'll have the church take care of that. It's like, no, we're, we're the radically rescued. We're going to go rescue radically. That means you and I out there bringing hope, little acts of love, doing whatever it takes, going to the darkest of darkest corners of our society and saying, hey, we're here. We're going to do something. You know, we need, to, we need to be the bird. We need to be the bird. In fact, if that's the only thing you remember today, that's fine with me. Be the bird. We've worshipped. We've read the Bible. Be the bird. Because if you start acting like these guys, God is going to, your world, your life, your story is going to be incredible, amazing, fulfilling, joyous. Will be difficult? Yes. It always is. Life is difficult. But it'll be fun. And you'll be making a huge difference in people's lives. Little acts of love all over the place. At the Shell gas station today, in your neighborhood, at the burrito joint later on at lunch, wherever it is, little acts of love, kind words, little yellow notes, having a vision for people's lives, seeing you know um, moments that can be redeemed. That's the point, and that's what we're all about. People a second chance. That's what we are. We're rescued. Go rescue. It's going to be a good life. I, I'm, I'm done. Um, some of you are going, yay. <laughs> but I do want to tell you about one thing. Um, it's actually been a pretty incredible morning and just, to me, a testimony of what God's doing in this church. But um, uh, one of the outreach things that we do at People of Second Chance is we work in prisons, 52 prisons across America right now. Um, actually, more and more are coming online, but right now there's 52. And you talk about a people group that has been uh, rejected, despised. I mean, you talk about a theme of, um, in our society, says, you know, lock, up, lock them up and throw away the key. It's the prison population. Um, and I want to do something about that. I, and I don't think, I can't save the prison system, but I want to remind people who are sitting in a jail cell that they're not alone and that we care about them. And so one of the things that we do is we, uh, we bring into the prisons uh, a Bible, New Testament, a really cool Bible, by the way, and a workbook that helps them kind of unpack their story. And, and right now there's um, 60 women who are in Florida who are, in a couple of weeks, they're going to start going through the workbook together. And we do these small groups and in prison. It's crazy the fact that, you know, typically the warden does not let people group up. That's a bad thing in jail. And yet they're allowing us to, to do this um, in small groups where they'll go through the workbook, talk about their stories, talk about, uh, do some, some discovery, assessment things, share um, uh, parts of their life, and then and have it all center around the message of grace and the message of second chance and the message of Jesus. And so um, this morning we have these, or I, I should say we used to have these kits. Um, we actually sold out. Our, our goal was to have... 
um, 60 women in this Florida prison to be sponsored. And uh, so I'm going to tell you, but here's the deal. You're going to have to actually sign up and write your name. You're not going to get this today. Sorry. The whole system is just busted. But um, my fault. Or, or your church is just way too awesome. I think that's probably that. So you get this book, which is um, the workbook uh, that I wrote. It's a great book. You'll love it. Um, you get a little journal. You get the uh, Freeway DVD. And you get a uh, little bumper sticker. This is people with a second chance that you put on your car or your neighbor's car, however, <laughs> you know, your choice. And I also love the fact that you get this brown box. Like, we'll, we'll get this brown box that so you can put your junk mail or your keys or gum or whatever in that box. So we don't have any of these because we're all sold out. This is the last one, so you could rush the stage and try to get this. But for 35 bucks, here's, you can sign up out there. You pay for it today. We'll send it to you in the mail. Uh, it'll probably take a couple days. We do priority shipping, so we'll get that to you really quickly. And you get all this stuff. And when you buy this stuff, for $35, that also allows us then to give a Bible and a workbook to one of the inmates in, uh, in Florida. And so I'd love for you to do that. We take checks, cash, credit card, and Bitcoin if you want to pay for Bitcoin. And gold bars. I don't know if you have any of those on you, but um, love for you to get involved. And just thank you already for, for sponsoring the 60, but maybe we can do 60 more. Who knows? But if you want to get involved and help us with this initiative, it is a little act of love. I mean, bringing God's word and, and just letting them know that uh, there's some people in Huntington Beach that have not forgotten about them is huge. So let's pray and uh, close out. God, thank you so much for loving us, for being uh, our God and our Father. And um, thank you for just getting to be a part of your family and part of the, the mission. God, it is um, a daunting task as we think about how much hurt and pain is in the world and how much struggle and how much brokenness is out there. And, and God, you use broken people to, to help heal broken worlds. And so, God, I just pray that you'll give us the courage and the clarity and the and that we keep our eyes and our ears open for opportunities for us to move into. And God, knowing that we don't have to fix it, we just have to, to bring hope and bring your love to people and stand with them in their time of need. God, I love you, and I thank you for this church, and I thank you for their generosity and, and for being people of the second chance. God, I thank you that you are with us, and I thank you for Jesus and the cross and forgiveness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.